0: Welcome to the fifth episode of the Building Spiritual Capacity podcast, where we're building immovable disciples through prayer, study, and action. In the last episode, we talked about our third line of effort as we seek to build our spiritual capacity immediate action. In this episode, we'll be focusing on the principle of faith, the foundational principle uh, in building our spiritual capacity. We'll analyze specifically abraham and the test of faith that god put him through our scriptural passage for this episode are found in genesis chapter 21 verses 1 through 8 and genesis chapter 22 verses 1 through 18 the points to ponder for this episode after abraham's son isaac was born what did god ask abraham to do the second one would be, what are the difficult sacrifices that the Lord has given you to make in your life? And third, are you willing to lay down everything for God? Before we get into the passage itself, specifically related to Abraham's test, I wanted to talk a little bit about Abraham and also identify uh, and remind us of another great resources uh, resource that we can use as we're studying the Scriptures. Again, we're looking to intensely study these particular passages and others related to faith this week. So uh, one other resource that I often use is a Bible dictionary. Now there's been many recommended to me in the past. Uh, my particular set of scriptures that I have has a small Bible dictionary in the back of the Bible itself. Some study Bibles will have a similar type information sometimes woven into the text um, as commentary or in the back. Uh, you can also just purchase. So I have all my my Bible. I have a little Bible dictionary at the back in the Bible, but then also uh, I purchased another Bible dictionary that's uh, much more comprehensive, a lot more detail in there, pictures and other things related to uh, biblical history, uh, time settings, geography, etc. So <clears throat> we're going to start there in the Bible dictionary today to talk a little bit about Abraham. So first, Abraham's name means father of a multitude. Before his name was Abraham, though, his name was Abram, which means exalted father. And this name, obviously, he, Abraham, is viewed as the father of uh, the covenant. And, and three of the world's major religions trace their spiritual heritage back to Abraham. We'll talk about more, this more later, but Christianity, as well as Judaism and Islam all trace their spiritual history back to this one figure and he's the father of their particular faiths so we'll talk again talk more about this as we go along but uh, Abraham uh, is an important figure especially in the world uh, today I find it often helpful as I've spent some time here in Afghanistan Iraq Kuwait. In my various travels. Uh, it's an opportunity to build on common beliefs with those that are working with, with us, uh, partners that have been working with us in my in our jobs, to share these common aspects of faith, faith and this uh, common ancestry, if you will, of this founding father, uh, this one common father of Abraham. Now, Abraham was born in what we believed many believe to be southeastern iraq in a, in a town called ur we don't really know where it's at per se uh, is my understanding um, but we we believe it's somewhere there in the southeastern portion portion of iraq uh, but he traveled a lot he traveled a lot all over the the region uh, throughout his life uh, finally and when we get here into our topic we finally get him there near uh, Hebron, which uh, is south of Bethlehem and south of, of Jerusalem. In Genesis chapter 15, we see kind of the first, first hints of a promise that God is going to make with Abraham. Uh, in verse, chapter 15, verse 5, God says, and he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. So God brings Abraham to this point. He tells him, Hey, go outside. Look, look up into heaven. You see how many stars there are. Your children, your descendants will be so many that it will be numberless, just like the stars in the sky. I would imagine as kids, maybe we tried to start counting the stars, but it would be uh, impossible to do, especially uh, for, for Abraham at this time. Uh, so the point God is making is that your your children are going to number more than the stars in the sky. The issue for um, Abraham is that he doesn't have any children yet. So he's the, the exalted father. His name right now at this moment is Abram, but then Uh, Later on, will be changed to Abraham. In chapter 17, God continues this theme. Verses 1 through 9, God tells Abraham, he says, And when Abram was ninety years old and nine, so ninety-nine years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me, and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee. And I will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceedingly fruitful, I will make thee nations Make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, in their generations, for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherewith thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore thou and thy seed after thee in their generations so here <clears throat> again God emphasizes to Abraham that he is going to make him the father of great nations now this is a little bit of a complicated story as oftentimes we see in the Old Testament it's not as simple as God is going to give Abraham a child through um, Sariah his wife Uh Instead, Sariah Sor- is barren, and Abraham is old. He's 99 years old. Uh, Sarai as well, she's, she's old. And so they're assuming that children aren't part of the equation at this point, um, just biologically, physically, or, or whatever. So Abraham, uh, undoubtedly he must have been somewhat skeptical, I would think, but um, but. Uh, then Sarah comes up with an idea. She says, Soraya comes up with an idea at this point, her name gets changed as well. Uh, she comes up with an idea. She says, well, I, you're not going to have children by me. I'm, I'm pretty old. Uh, so instead, why don't you take my handmaid? Why don't you have a child with her? Uh, and she recommends this to Abraham. Abraham says, okay, he consents, uh, to the relationship. And then, um, he does, in fact. Her name is Hagar. She is from Egypt. The the Old Testament tells us, and she bears a son named Ishmael. Now, this was Sarah's idea. She thought it would it'd be helpful to try to, like maybe maybe to help Abraham. We don't really know, but uh, to help him to have his seed, to have his heir, to be able to, um, to to have someone from his line. To take care of all the things that Abraham he, Abraham had, he had quite a bit of you know flocks and and quite a little uh, household there, and he wanted someone of his own uh, biological descendancy to uh, be his heir. Uh, so far, he just had someone taking care of his his stuff, and that's who all who would take all of it uh, once Abraham died, and he wanted it to be his son. So uh, so he uh, he has a son with Hagar. Sarah's handmaid Uh, this is Ishmael now Sarah uh, later on kind of she kind of changes her tune a little bit she gets a little jealous that Abraham is excited to have a son uh, and he she feels maybe that Hagar is being more favored even though Sarah is is his wife and Hagar is a handmaid so Sarah says you need to get rid of the these two Um, she's not she's not pleased with what's um, going on and eventually, actually, God gives Sarah her child. Uh, first, she and Abraham are both kind of confused. They they don't know how this is going to happen. And and Sarah actually just kind of laughs. She's happy um, that that the child is is that she's going to have a child. And she bears Isaac. So Abraham's first son is not through his wife. It's through the handmaid, Ishmael. His second son. But first through Sarah is Isaac. Again, this creates some more conflict. And Sarah says, You have a son now by me. You don't need to have this other son around. Even though he was technically the firstborn, um, he is not your son through me, through the proper lineage or whatever. uh, And so you should send him away. Abraham is a little hesitant about this, but God promises Abraham that through Ishmael he will have multitudes of descendants, just like he promises through Isaac. Uh, so Ishmael, so so Abraham consents, consents to this uh, arrangement, and Hagar and Ishmael go off, uh, and they're saved miraculously. It's a it's another neat story in this whole um, this whole. History and the context here of the story in the in the Old Testament, but uh, Hagar and Ishmael go away. They're saved miraculously, and in fact, uh, Abraham's descendants through Hagar and Ishmael are numerous. Uh, we we would say that many of them of the descendants of Ishmael are uh, in the Middle East as we speak, and the Muslim the, the people of the Muslim faith trace. Their spiritual heritage through this birthright, through this son of Ishmael, as opposed to Isaac. So, as we, as Muhammad and, and the the origins of the as a, of the Muslim faith, for example, uh, they would say that they trace their spiritual heritage through Ishmael, uh, and they believe that he was the covenant son. Um, for Judaism and Christianity, uh, take the the other approach, and they say that Isaac is the covenant. Um, holder and the heir and the the proper heir of Abraham and this is where we have the split but as I mentioned before uh, Abraham is the father uh, essentially of these kind of three faith backgrounds that are, are prevalent in the world today now we pick up the story here in Chapter 22, Isaac is born, and so after all of, all of these things have happened, Ishmael's born, and then Isaac's born, and then Hagar and Ishmael are sent away, uh, God decides that he is now going to test or tempt. Uh, the, old, the King James Version uses the word tempt. Another way to interpret that word tempt is to say to test or to prove, to see if Abraham, Abraham will continue to be obedient to God. Uh, under what's going to end up being pretty pretty extreme circumstances. This is a pretty tough test, and we all get tested in our life, and I, and I think it's an opportunity to demonstrate our faith in God that uh, he, and our trust in Him. And this is what building spiritual capacity is about. This is why this is the first principle that we're talking about after our lines of effort is, is that we have to have this type of faith, this type of extreme faith in God as... Uh, as we continue to build our build ourselves and work with God to help help uh, in in the process, if you will, of building our spiritual capacity, we're going to be tested, and that's a key component. Uh, you know, it's, as I said before, we talked about this immediate action piece. We have the faith; faith is the pr- principle of action. And as I mentioned before, it takes uh, it's one thing to say you can do something; it's another thing to actually do it. In my opinion, so. Uh, verse one, here it says that God is going to tempt Abraham or to test him, and then God says, uh, "Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of." So, this is the this is the test. I've given you this. I've told you, I've told you that I am going to give you children. Uh, that your descendants will, uh, will be more than you can number, more than the stars of the sky. You're going to have that many descendants. I've told you it's okay to send Ishmael away, and he's going to have descendants for you, but the covenant or the promise that I made with you that we read about in chapter 17 of Genesis, that covenant line will go through Isaac. Isaac. So Abraham now is being told, after he was told all of these things that Isaac is the heir and Isaac is, through, through Isaac the covenant will come, we see that uh, now God is telling Abraham, I want you to take him up and I want you to offer him as a burnt offering. I want to let, want to let that sink in a little bit here. A burnt offering. You're going to take your son up there and you're going to, and you're going to burn him as an offering to God to me. Now, the account in Genesis obviously doesn't uh, give us the thoughts and feelings that Abraham was having. In fact, the next verse after God asks him to, to invites him or tells him and commands him to go up to the mountain and sacrifice his son, the ne- very next verse says that Abraham got up early in the morning and started heading down to the mountain. Uh, maybe not with that connotation, but that's kind of when I read it, I'm like, well, it just says he got up early and he went to the mountain. He took a couple servants. He took Isaac. He didn't tell Sarah what he was doing. It it doesn't appear. Uh, But uh, he starts going up to the mountain. Now he gets to the base of the mountain or he gets to a certain point and Abraham leaves his two servants or that he he leaves the servants that are there uh, at the bottom and he takes Isaac and he gives Isaac the wood that they're going to use for the burnt offering. This is the wood that, in Abraham's mind, as he understands what the plan is from God, is the wood that he's going to use to put Isaac on to offer the burnt offering. Abraham tells his servants to wait here. We'll be back. uh, And he gives the wood to Isaac to carry. Isaac then, in verse 7, Isaac says, uh, you know, ask the question. He's old enough, and this is the interesting thing about Isaac. I want to point out: Isaac is at least old enough to carry a bunch of wood up a mountain. Um, we don't know how much or how heavy, but uh, I imagine if the, if they're going to use the wood to to start a fire, um, to burn this offering, it's a pretty hefty amount of wood, and so Isaac is carrying the wood. Up there, so he's big enough and strong enough to carry the wood. He's also coherent enough uh, and intelligent enough to say, "Hey, Dad!" Um, observant enough, I should say, to say, "Hey, Dad, where's the, where is the offering? I don't, I don't see the offering." Abraham's response is, verse eight: God will provide Himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So they went both of them together. Again, we don't know what I, Abraham's thinking. We don't know what Isaac's thinking. But they get to the top of the mountain. They prepare the altar. They lay the wood on the altar. And then Abraham binds Isaac and puts him on the altar. Now, again, I I'm, I'm want to point out, Abraham, uh, Isaac is old enough to carry the wood. He's old enough to climb up the mountain. He's intelligent and observant enough to ask where's the offering he's old enough and and again abraham is you know if he, if he's 99 when isaac is born uh isaac is now old enough uh, maybe you know 10 11, i don't i don't know we don't know but uh he's old enough to where sh- certainly probably a 10 year old kid or 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 older can either overpower a 99 year old man or run away from a 99 year old man uh, again, ages were slightly different there, I guess, but if we're putting it into our perspective, a really old person and a really young person. And so in my mind, it seems as if not only did Abraham have to have faith in this time, and in this moment, but Isaac must have. Uh, because it, I guess the way that I read the, the verse is that, Ab- is that Isaac would have had to probably get on that altar and be bound intentionally, knowing that, oh, I see. I see who the sacrifice is now. At this point, it just seems to me that Isaac would have had to to be volunteering that. Um, so, I can't imagine how difficult it is. I, I didn't get a chance to talk to my my dad before this uh, episode, um, but he. I remember one time he was teaching a Sunday school class to some young young kids, um, teenagers, and I was even younger. I was his oldest. Uh, not his only son at this point, but I was his oldest, and uh, he brought me to be to represent Isaac for this class. And I laid on a table, and he was demonstrating how how it would work. I'd love to talk to him and see if he remembers that uh, that that story. But it's one of my earliest memories of of childhood that that this story was being told. So Abraham lays Isaac on the altar, and he has his knife in his hand, raised ready to uh, make the sacrifice. When an angel appears, uh, I imagine mercifully and gratefully Abraham, how, how, how grateful he must have been. The angel says, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And that was verse 12 of Genesis chapter one. 22 I've always found this to be an interesting story in many in many ways. Uh, Abraham, not knowing what God's intent was, he had so much faith in God that God would somehow continue to make manifest this promise of having seed through Isaac, having children through Isaac uh, and, and Isaac's descendants, he trusted in God. He he trusted that God would provide, and and certainly God did provide. A ram is now found in the thicket, um, and they uh, they go ahead and sacrifice that that lamb. Uh, Abraham calls the mountain Jehovah Jireh, uh, which means the Lord will provide. Uh, and what a blessing it was that day for um, for him and, and Isaac. Then later on, God continues to, to remind Isaac and says, uh, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and, ha- and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess it, and thy gate and the gate of his of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. So again, what a cool, cool story of faith. One thing I want to uh, kind of add and point out here, as I record this particular episode, it is two weeks from Easter. Uh, we'll be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and as was pointed out to me years ago, and and you, I'm sure, already aware, but uh, but just as a reminder, this story has a lot of parallels to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, uh, and his crucifixion. Let me point out a couple of parallels there. Uh, or foreshadowing, if you will, uh, Jesus Christ, of course uh, we learn from John three sixteen that uh, that God sent his only begotten son uh, into the world and, uh, and and in this case similarities with Abraham and Isaac Isaac was the only son of Abraham uh, the only begotten son of the Father is Jesus Christ. so we have a little foreshadowing and symbolism there. Isaac carries his own cross or excuse me he carries his own wood for the sacrifice and Jesus at least initially uh, it carry it begins to carry his cross up the hill uh, of Calvary and that's the another parallel this all of these events for Abraham take place in uh, a mountain at the top of a mountain and Jesus Christ of course was crucified at the top of a hill the hill of Calvary um, also. As we mentioned before, I believe my personal opinion. This is not. Uh, this is just my personal interpretation, but I believe that Isaac was old enough to, to probably run away or you know try to fight his dad when he, his dad was trying to sacrifice him. So I believe that Isaac got on the altar, willingly uh, of his own uh, power, and the same is true for Jesus Christ. So if you want to go back and look at these stories and specifically chapter 22 and just kind of look at some of those interesting little points there about how this is a foreshadowing of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, especially as we get ready to celebrate uh, his sacrifice and and his resurrection here in a couple weeks. As I envisioned how this program would work, I used the term building spiritual capacity for a reason. We could also maybe say building spiritual strength. Uh, as well, but um, I use capacity for a reason because I think there's other uh, aspects to it. But part of what we're doing is building our spiritual strength. And although I'm not uh, the king of the gym, so to speak, and I, I'm not the type of person that is, you know, a gi- gym rat, uh, what I ha- do understand and know is that in order to break something, uh, to build something up, to build your muscles up, you have to break it down. And something I've always said and and thought is that this process physically is the same process spiritually. And a test like this for Abraham to test his faith may have broken him down in all sorts of ways, uh, spiritually, mentally, physically, Uh, however it broke him down, but then he was strengthened after it was over. You know, the body, God created our bodies in such a way that if we, in order to build the muscle, we have to break it. We have to tear it apart. We have to tear the muscles apart. And then the body has this miraculous way of not only repairing itself to its former strength, but actually to build itself up naturally to an even greater strength. So that the next time we get in the gym, we try to lift heavy things. Our body is better prepared to lift the heavier items, and then, as we see, we can continue to get stronger and stronger and stronger. And I believe the same happens with our spirits. It's not fun. It's not uh, exciting. It's it, it can it can hurt. It can be make you sore spiritually. It can take a while for the healing process to take place. But my belief is, my experience is as a as a person, but also as someone who's seen people walk through very difficult things, that they can they can continue to uh, heal and be even stronger spiritually than they were before their great trial or their great test happened. And I certainly believe this is true for Abraham. And we see that the God's promises have been fulfilled as he he said they would as Abraham exercised his faith. So the action for this week was to set a goal to make um, some sort of sacrifice for God. Uh, And as you're listening to this, if... uh, and the way I designed it is that my commentary would be after you've already done the study and, uh, and after you've already set the goal. So my prayer is that you're, you were blessed and you were benefited as you sacrificed uh, something for God. And this is a, a great time of year. Again, as I, as I record this right now, we're uh, in the middle of Lent uh, for those who celebrate Lent. And so maybe you've already given something up. Uh, maybe uh, also this is uh, you know this is twenty twenty and COVID nineteen is is a pandemic that's that's stretched all over the world, and so maybe right now may, maybe financially or in some other ways we're we're being tested and we're being tried and we're making sacrifices that we wouldn't wouldn't normally make, so hopefully also that you you took this uh, the principle of accountability, and uh, you identified someone to to tell your experiences to, um, and specifically this goal that you set and how well you did at setting this goal of making this uh, sacrifice. In our next episode, we're going to focus on uh, what we refer to in our society as the golden rule. Uh, I want to dive into it a little bit, not just the golden rule, but some other passages related to how we see, you know, Jesus encouraging us to apply the golden rule in our lives. And, uh, you know, in, in today's day and age, the golden rule uh, i think we we can refer to it as the platinum rule uh, you know you see these credit card commercials or or you know if you want to be a member of some sort of of club uh it used to be the gold standard now i think platinum has replaced gold and i think uh, jesus intended something with a with the golden rule his intent for the golden rule uh, is a little bit more d- deep than i've always been taught it for for quite a year, quite a few years and I think uh, I'd like to emphasize that a little bit when we talk about the golden rule, and then these these passages, that elaborate on how to apply it as well. So the scriptural passages are Matthew chapter seven verse twelve, which is the golden rule, in the Sermon on the Mount, and and then Luke chapter ten verses thirty through thirty seven, are here, uh, Jesus talking about how to to apply essentially, this golden rule. Points to ponder for these passages is how does Jesus expect us to treat others according to the passages and in what ways can you enrich your treatment of others at home at work or in your community and then here's the action for the week find someone who it is difficult to work with and provide them some sort of Christ-like service this week now that's a little bit of a challenge so in my mind um, it doesn't have to be um, it doesn't have to be overt service it could be some sort of more covert operation, if you will, Um, but find a way to serve somebody this week that it may be difficult to, to work with. And until next time, remember to trust God and do His will.